As we are resuming our David series, it's been, I guess, four weeks. This is the fifth week. We're coming back to the story. Uh, so let me help you to remember the storylines. So far, there's several studies. That this is an eighth message, but let me focus on the four key events that led to David to today's story, the cave of Adullam. Uh, Samuel 15, Saul was rejected as king because he rejected God by disobedience and continuation of his hardened heart. And chapter 16, Samuel is anointing young David, shepherd boy, not even 20 years old, some high teen, eighth youngest brother of Jesse. And it was a private event. But chapter 17, this young David goes out boldly and bravely defeats the nine-foot giant Philistine Goliath and became sudden uh, national hero. And then because of his popularity and people's praise, Paul's jealousy was kindled to a point as a uh, somewhat a personality disorder type of uh, jealousy. So he uh, decided to pursue him and kill him. In chapter 19 and 20, David gets help from his friend, Saul's son, Jonathan, Michael, his wife, Saul's daughter, and Samuel, the prophet. This was an initial break away from being with King Saul day to day. And then from that point on, all the way to the end of 1 Samuel, 10 plus years, he lives his life as a fugitive from King Saul. The first major incident was last study we had, the story of Ahimelech and, and Doeg, and first place that he escaped to, or after he acted like a crazy man in front of Achish, King Achish, because they recognized him as a, the one that who killed Goliath. And he was afraid of these Philistines around him, and he acted crazy, like a crazy man drooling on his beard. And the first place that he went to was Nob. Nob was a new village for the priests. All the priests and the high priest, Ahimelech, welcomed him and yet with trembling because of the rumors that King Saul wanted him and killed him. Ahimelech sacrificed himself. 
and helped him with the bread and gave him the sword of Goliath. But Doeg, on the other hand, saw that as an opportunity for instantaneous success. And he told Saul about it. And Saul, out of his anger, commanded his subjects to kill all the priests. Because if they are Israelites and they fear the Lord, they would not do it. And Doeg, who is not a Hebrew, didn't hesitate. So Doeg killed that day, slaughtered that day, 85 priests plus entire family, and even the dogs, and even the uh, cows, and even livestock, everything that they have, including the babies. That symbolized more of a God's judgment on entire tribe, which he did not have, Saul did not have any right to. So after that event, he David fled to Adullam, cave of Adullam. And I want you to know, only this is a five verses today, but the impact and turning point is huge. Without Adullam cave, David would not have been King David. Spiritually, Socially, this was a major turning point. So let me explain what just happened. Who came to David at the cave of Adullam and why? The first one is obviously David's family. David's parents and brothers. Remember, he has seven brothers. He's the youngest one. He was not regarded high and with respect. From our previous story, we, we know that. But why are they suddenly paying attention to David? It's because of King Saul. Let's uh, read verse 1. David departed from there, from Nob, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Skipping to verse 3. And David went from there to Mizpeh of Moab. And he, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know that God will do for me, what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herod. So imagine this. The crazy king Saul was trying to get David by any means. So anyone who's close to David was his target. And certainly where he lived in Bethlehem was not that far either. So they were fearful of their lives. 
So when they heard, David went to the cave of Adullam. They decided to seek David for help, for protection. That he's going to kill us because of you. And then David being youngest one, now probably early 20s or mid-20s, his parents might be very old, wouldn't it? And there's a reason why his brothers probably stayed with him in the cave of Adullam, but his parents, he took them to Moab. Non-Hebrews again, Gentile. And their enemy, actually. And said, please take care of my parents until I know what God will do. And then, uh, some of the commentaries mentioned that it's because of, probably because of Ruth. Ruth was David's great-grandmother who was a Moabite. So because of the bloodline, maybe they knew about that bloodline. Maybe David had felt more comfortable feelings to trust them. And certainly, he could not turn to any Hebrew because all the Hebrews, Israelites, were under the reign of King Saul. And anyone who helps David like Ahimelech, will be killed. And then, plus, just think about a cave living, a primitive. It's not a camping either. It's not a fun life. It's a very rough way of living, and his parents are probably too old for that. But what I want us to notice in this story, it's not the moral lesson. The moral lesson would be, which is a good lesson, we ought to take care of our parents. Right? So, you know, the, we could read our children this story. It's a you, when I get old, you take care of... No, we need to see what God is doing for his sovereign purpose. Why is he going through this tough time? Wasn't he anointed by Samuel? And God said, he is the one that I choose. The man after my own heart. So keep thinking about that as we move on. His second people was that, let me just call it outcasts. Or misfits. The verse 2 says, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And they were with him about, there were with him about 400 men. Soon these 400 men becomes a 600 men. And suddenly, you see the difference. When he went to Ahimelech, the priest, remember the 
he was running away all by himself, but now he has 400 strong, young, healthy men. And these people were social rejects, at least socially lowly people who didn't really fit in. And they were all gathering to him. The reason is probably very straightforward. They were not satisfied under the reign of King Saul, and they were looking for new hope and change for the future. And their new hope was this shepherd boy who killed Goliath, and a miraculous event happened, and they heard that he will be, he might be the next king. Notice this. When you think about Adullam community, it's not just a really powerful, loyal community. There's a everything is at stake, so all-in commitment was there. These were loyal people because they have nowhere else to go. But these are full of broken people. I mean, with, with their own idiosyncrasies, they were not really necessarily educated, highly educated, very articulate people. There will be a time we will find out, let me just call it zigzag crisis. The place that they will gather as a future gathering place. And there is a crisis happens. When they are away on a mission, uh, the military campaign, their wives and children are taken away. And they were furious, devastated. The scriptures say they wept, all these men, wept all day long. David just lost any energy to cry anymore. But at the time, the first incident, first thought was, let's stone David. Let's blame this guy. He's our leader. This happened because of him. So uh, these were not necessarily like a beautiful, uh, the hipster Christian's mentality of let's have a community life together. Let's buy a land and move all together and we will get along and perfect. No, these were messy people and the messy problems with community. What is God doing? With all this, there's a three lessons that I see. The first, num- first lesson, number one, the cave of Adullam trained David to trust God as his refuge in times of trouble. You know, the word, even the refuge, 
I mean the Adelum. The word means refuge. So we might think that, oh, there are two Psalms. It's Psalm 57, Psalm 40, 142. In superscript, it will say, when David was in the cave. So we know at least these two Psalms were written in, during the times of, in the cave of Adelon. Oh, that means his cave was his refuge. No, no, no. What was God teaching him? He's teaching him, or rather, repetition of teaching, which is training, to trust God. Not in the circumstances, but in God. Not take refuge not in people or circumstances, but in God. Next Sunday... We're going to actually take a look at first psalm of our study, Psalm 57, which was written in Cave of Adullam. But there's another Psalm 142, so let me just use that psalm to explain this uh, first lesson. I'm sorry. Psalm 42, 142. With my voice I cry out to the Lord, David writes. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. The psalm goes on. To David, it wasn't the Adullam cave. It was God. He was learning over and over. Let me ask you, in your own life, where do you take your refuge? Many of us, if we don't be cautious, if we are not vigilant, your bank account could be your refuge. Your healthy children could be your refuge. No problems and no sicknesses in your extended family, especially your parents. No cancer could be your refuge. Promising job could be your refuge. If you don't watch out, and God brings a little bit of trouble, speed bump, or detour. You're, you feel like you're being just stalling instead of speeding to the right direction. What is God teaching us? Trust me. Be attentive to me. Take refuge in me. 
I know some of us will say, I, I learned that several years ago. Or do we? Really? You know, how, how, do, I, how do I know this? Just imagine something happens to one of your children. Unthinkable thing. And some of us will say, my bottom will fall apart. I could lose my mind if something happens to my child. Do we take refuge in God? The hymn writer who wrote, When Peace Like a River, when he sings, It is well, it is well with my soul, he didn't write in the middle of nothing happening. He lost his wife and three daughters in Atlantic Ocean because of shipwreck. And he was on the ship and looking at the ocean. He wrote those words. Do you remember the psalmist's words? The righteous is not shaken by bad news. Don't get me wrong. I'm not looking for pain I'm not looking for suffering to happen to each one of us. May God protect us. But where is our refuge? I've been worried about boy and Cindy. And, and uh, Kate just had a Skype talk, a conversation with Kate, uh, after the Taiwan, her her headache's better, and she seems to be much better. And she said, Cindy's attitude is, well, what, what can happen to us? If, if they kick us out, we get kicked out. What's so bad about it? We'll take one day at a time. Because her refuge is no longer in being a missionary in that remote country and making a difference or whatnot. Is Jesus is all we need? Is everything we need? Or is Jesus kind of spare tire? Something happens, we could run to that. Crossway. When our kids are doing well, when your job, when your finance is doing well, By faith, intentionally take refuge in the Lord. We'll talk about this a little more next Sunday. We get, we get to actually see God, uh, what God is doing in David's heart from his journal in Psalm 57. Lesson number two, the cave of Adalim provided David a community. Community that strengthened him for a lifetime. Not just momentarily, but for a lifetime. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. 
but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. All this became true, literally true in David's life. Just one chapter ago, priest Ahimelech said to David, Why are you alone? In chapter 20, verse 1. And no one with you. Now, God has brought 400 wholehearted, desperate men who could sacrifice their lives for David. I'm returning to the point that I just alluded to. Because of their loyalty, this is not a perfect community. This was not, by all means, perfect community. A full of broken people. But God's wisdom is behind this. Usually, that's how God works. And then, and many of commentators compare this with the early church, how God works. In other words, our community is a reflection of a Dalam community. Why so? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, Paul writes to the Corinthians in first century, in verse 26, for, you, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I remember my experience in uh, Dallas days. And once again, this is a, in hindsight, God's training me. I experience as a young youth pastor so many problems and uh, evil elders and uh, the messed up churches and one of them notoriously I remember this church is like 40 to 50 percent medical doctors so all these medical doctors were into playing golf on Sunday. So they were doing the, uh, their own league chart in the middle of service. They were really just paying attention. They're actually 
putting the notes back to each other. And then the way they treated the newcomers were just kind of ridiculous in a way that, oh, what do you do for a living? Uh, if you own a cleaners, oh, maybe that church might be good over there. If you're a lawyer, oh, we could kind of let it go. You're not doctors, but you're... The new pastor came. He's a PhD in, in psychology, but God turned him around. And he became a man of God and man of God's word. And he was preaching his heart out. I just had a deeply respect for him. I think he was in my age, around in his 50s. And, and he, he quit his PhD work and went to seminary and and he was doing pastoring. Oh, just wonderful. But he was preaching the word without compromise. He was going head to head. All these doctors didn't like the fact that he was pushing uh, their sacred hobby, golf. So they have no excuse whatsoever anymore using church building and church meeting on Sundays to program and plan their outings, golf outings. So imagine that. I think that's a, one example. But imagine, imagine any church you walk in, oh, they should be grateful to get me. If you have that attitude, you don't know anything about God's grace or you have forgotten God's mercy on you. Don't get me wrong. We have, among, among us, or not just losers, everybody's, you know, <laughs> we have Ivy League graduates, we have doctors, we have lawyers, we have someone who has a, some, starting with chief something, or, you know, CEOs and business owners, but we are also a gathering. We are we're the people who gather in God's mercy with our brokenness, without imperfectness. I, I think this is really important, poignant point for, for me because our church strives to be authentic community and then if you listen to you know, many of you or people who comment about us, community is well known. Crossway Church has a really great community and people gather for that. But let's be careful. Because also there are complaints. Why? Well, our men's group, our women's group, our home group ought to be this way. And how come it's this is not happening. Oh, I have my own brokenness and idiosyncrasies. And some of you don't like the, how structured I am in, in a way that my slightly ADD, uh, OCD, I like things lined up well. 
I don't like this kind of things. I need to be, make sure that. You know what I'm saying? The point is, God has his sovereign wisdom for us to humble us, to rely on each other, to make sure that we don't become prideful. Country club people. They would, we would welcome any people. I still remember yesterday, the first one we met with my two elder brothers, I mean, the, the two, two of my elder sons, Soren and Silas. The first guy was explaining his life. He's a 22, 23-year-old kid. And... Uh, said he has a daughter, three-year-old daughter. And he has all these prints, pictures with him, with, with him together. And he looked good. He lost so much weight because of alcohol. But he had glasses and he looked like a preppy young man. And his daughter was laughing with him. Well, I, I, I am just heartbroken. I was heartbroken. And then with the glimpses of my, uh, my son, this was a, moving their hearts. They didn't know what to do, what to say. But when they prayed, they pulled the hands those tightly. And some of earnest you know, prayer, voices were trembling. Kevin was his name. Kevin walks in here to our church through the lens of this Adelum community. This is a place that God's mercy reigns. Grateful people are those people who are affected by God's mercy. Number three lesson, the cave of Adelum Prepare David with practical ways of rebuilding the kingdom as the future king of Israel. This is what typical theology calls God's providence. God's providence in human eyes seems so, at least that time, during that time, ineffective, inefficient, takes too long, wasting, like it feels like a detour. And that's why we give up on God, throw away our faith when things are not happening fast enough. But Romans 11, verse 33 to 35, says this, O depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable 
his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? The point is, in his greater and deeper wisdom, God is actually using these things as his providence, preparing David for his kingdom. At that time, David probably might not realize what was going on. But do you know, his key cabinet members came out of this Adullam community. Joab, his number one general, came out of there. Uriah the Hittite, who was actually uh, Bathsheba's husband, was murdered by David's scheme because of he wanted to cover up his adultery with Bathsheba. <coughs> but many of those names, and these are called usually the mighty warriors of David. We'll take a look at it in a moment. But it is actually, in spite of this inefficient, ineffective way, that's actually God's best way for us. Anything that is frustrating you, God is actually using that to train and molding us. I think one good biblical example right away is a Joseph story. What's Joseph doing in prison? Oh, well, before that, actually, he was doing well with, as a slave, he became a manager of an entire household of Potiphar. Well, that's a man sizable management experience, which was he needed. In the prison, actually, he got to hear what was going on in the close circle of counsel to the king. God was preparing. And I bet if you reflect on it a little bit, at the time you do not know it, in hindsight, you recognize, wow, that was a, such an important time for me. My formative years came out of that. For me, I was a guy who anxious to get into full-time ministry. But what was I doing early 90s when I came out here into California? I was actually managing a small cafeteria for my mom. And you could really see, still see that in LAX, Garrett Generation Avi Aviation Services. There's a cafeteria for the people who are work there, working there. It's a contract work. And I get up early in the morning to open up, try to run. It's basically small pop and mom business. And from then on, I went to 
work full-time with import-export business in city of commerce, importing tools, importing tariffs, and selling goods to, to everywhere in, across the states, arguing, yelling with the truckers, uh, being on time. You know, we're right there just around the corner and took another 30, 40 minutes. So I learned during those times, at, at that time actually, what am I doing here? I have a fancy title named operations manager, but I had to be in shorts with t-shirt and belt on it to unload fast enough. I mean, with a little manpower, we need to move and make it the deadline. In hindsight, let me, ask, let me tell you this. That was the best training ever I received to understand press job, regular job pressure, that it is not clear cut and black and white, ethics in business. I understood all that now. And in terms of character, oh, young hotshot young pastor needed that. I'm grateful for that. And God's providence was that. In David's case, if you look at uh, 2 Samuel 23, there's a list of mighty men of David. And then one of them, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Am I doing this? Can you believe it? 800 people were killed by one man because of his skillfulness and, and might and courage. And it, the, they have three, top three people. It, it's just like a martial arts movie. <laughs> and then 30, actually counting all that is 37 Uriah the Hittite was one of them. And if you go one more, I mean, verses 14 to 19, there's a story, famous story. I'm not going to read it again. Whoops. Sorry about that. David say, said uh, longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. He didn't mean it. He was just kind of, you know, homesick and, oh, wouldn't it be great? But actually, three men heard it and they went to the enemy's territory, risking their lives. And they, with their loyalty and their, their sacrificial heart, my captain needs water from Bethlehem well. We're going to get it. But I'm doing all the things wrong. <laughs> so the point is, he got it. And what, what does David say? He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should, should do this. Shall I drink the blood of men? 
who went at the risk of their lives, therefore he would not drink it. This is one example. Actually, without Adalim community, kingdom of David would not have been rebuilt with strength. And at that time, the Philistines were always superior. Their armor and the technique and courage and size of men were superior. They're always threat. But during David's time, not anymore. There were no threat because these people, mighty men, David's men, became so, so brave and so courageous, Philistines didn't even bother to challenge them. But because we see these few verses, the Dalam community, oh, he had to live there. Think about feeding 400 men every day, three meals a day. Oh, what a hassle. (laughs) I'm I'm feeding four kids, four, four teenage boys when they're away. And um, my fast, efficient way is a frozen food, putting in the micro. They they would, they need to be really really hungry to eat that. So I said, you're not grateful, sons. Let's recap and really quick. Um, Adalim community, the cave, trained David to trust God as his refuge in times of trouble. So we need to know our past and present Adalim cave experience as actually has a purpose. How has the Lord been training you to trust God as your refuge? Secondly, it provided David a community that strengthened him for a lifetime until he even had uh, his son Absalom revolt, uh, revolted against him. All these faithful, loyal people were next to him. I see the value of our current imperfect community. I know. If you tell me the problems, I know. And the people have told me the problems and left the church. And I know they're going to see the problems everywhere they go because they bring the problems with them. (laughs) How will you receive God-given community with gratitude and joy? And third and last, it prepared David with practical ways of future leadership. God's providence. Let's surrender and see God's wise providence in our current detours. How will you humble yourself to God who is preparing and molding you? And I close this with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote the famous book, Life Together, he writes, 
Christian community is like the Christian's sanctification. It is a gift of God which we cannot claim. Only God knows the real state of our fellowship, of our sanctification. What may appear weak and trifling to us may be great and glorious to God. Just as the Christian should not be constantly feeling his spiritual purse, so too the Christian community has not been given to us by God for us to be constantly taking its temperature. The more thankfully we daily receive what is given to us, the more surely and steadily will fellowship increase and grow from day to day as God pleases. Brothers and sisters, let us love one another. Let us embrace our home group community, imperfect home group community, the broken people in our men's group and women's group, and receive it with joy and gladness, seeing God's providence in there. Let's pray. Father, thank you. for what you're doing in our imperfect community. And thank you that your mercy never ends for us. It's really beyond us, not because we are godly enough or pray enough or we are more righteous enough, but because of your mercy in your sovereignty your wisdom is greater than any of our plans. The crossway belongs to you. Humble us and teach us to value our community and love our brothers and sisters who are broken, who are full of shortcomings like me. And may your glory, the name of Jesus, be exalted because of that. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.